Section 47 of The Dream of the Red Chamber, Book 2. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Dream of the Red Chamber, Book 2 by Zhao Xuqing, translated by Henry Bancroft Jolie, Chapter 48, Part 2. After Shangling, for we will take up the thread of our narrative with her, completed her visits to the various inmates, she had her evening meal. Then, when Pao Chai and everyone else went to Daozhi Lady Jia's quarters, she came into the Xiao Shang Lodge. By this time, Dai Yu had got considerably better. Upon hearing that Xiang Ling had also moved into the garden, she, needless to say, was filled with delight. Now that I've come in here, Xiang Ling then smiled and said, Do you please teach me? At your leisure, how to write verses? It will be a bit of good luck for me if you do. Since you are anxious to learn how to versify, Dai Yu answered with a smile, You would better acknowledge me as your tutor, for though I am not a good hand at poetry, yet I know, after all, enough to be able to teach you. Of course you do, Xiang Ling laughingly remarked. I readily treat you as my tutor, but you mustn't put yourself to any trouble. Is there anything so difficult about this that you pursued as to make it necessary to go in for any study? Why, it's purely and simply a matter of openings, elucidations, embellishments, and conclusions. The elucidations and embellishments which come in the center should form two antithetical sentences. The even tones must pair with the uneven, empty words must correspond with full words, and full words with empty words. In the event of any out-of-the-way lines, it won't matter if the even and uneven tones and the empty and full words do not pair. Strange though it may appear, smiled Xiang Ling, I often handle books with old poems and read one or two stanzas whenever I can steal the time, and some among these I found pair most skillfully, while others don't. I have also heard that the first third and fifth lines are of no consequence, and that the second, fourth, and sixth must be clearly distinguished. But I notice that there are in the poetical works of ancient writers both those which accord with the rules, as well as those whose second, fourth, and sixth line are not in compliance with any rule. Hence it is that my mind has daily been full of doubts. But after the hints you have given me, I really see that all these formulas are of no account, and that the main requirement is originality of diction. Yes, that's just the principle that holds good, Dai Yu answered, but diction is, after all, a last consideration. The first and foremost thing is the choice of proper sentiments, for when the sentiments are correct, there will even be no need to polish the diction. It's certain to be elegant. This is called versifying without letting the diction affect the sentiments. What I admire, Xiangling proceeded with a smile, are the lines by O Lu Fang. The double portier, when not raised, retains the fragrance long. An old ink slab, with a slight hole, collects plenty of ink. Their language is so clear that it's charming. You must, on no account, that you observed, report of the kind. It's because you people don't know what verses mean 
that you no sooner read any shallow lines like these than they take your fancy. But when once you get into this sort of style, it's impossible to get out of it. Mark my words, if you are in earnest about learning, I've got here one more G complete collection, so you'd better take its 100 stanzas written in the pentameter rule of versification and carefully study them until you apprehend them thoroughly. Afterwards, look over the 120 stanzas of Lao Du in the heptameter rule, and next read a hundred or two hundred of the heptameter four-lined stanza by Li Qinglian. When you have, as a first step, digested these three authors and make them your foundation, you can take Tao Yunming, Liu Xie, Ruan, Ru, Bao, and other writers and go through them once. And with those sharp and quick wits of yours, I've no doubt but that you will become a regular poet before a year's time. Well, in that case, Chang smiled after listening to her. Bring me the book, my dear miss, so that I can take it along. It will be a good thing if I can manage to read several stanzas at night. At these words, Dai Yu bade Ji Zhuan fetch Wang Yucheng's pentameter stanzas. When brought, she handed them to Changling. Only peruse those marked with red circles, she said. They've all been selected by me. Read each one of them, and should there be any you can't phantom, ask your miss about them. Or when you come across me, I can explain them to you. Xiaoling took the poems and repaired back to the Hang Yuan, and without wearying her mind about anything, she approached the lamp and began to con stanza after stanza. Bao Chai pressed her several consecutive times to go to bed. But as even rest was far from her thoughts, Bao Chai let her, when she perceived what trouble she was taking over her task, have her own way in the matter. Dai Yu had one day just finished combing her hair and performing her ablutions, when she espied Xiangling come with smiles playing about her lips, to return her the book and to ask her to let her have Du's poetical compositions in exchange. Of all these, how many stanzas can you recollect? Dai Yu asked, smiling. I've read every one of those marked with a red circle, Xiangling laughingly rejoined. Have you caught the ideas of any of them? Yes or no? Dai Yu inquired. Yes, I've caught some, Xiangling smiled. But whether rightly or not, I don't know. Let me tell you. You must really, Dai Yu laughingly remarked, minutely solicit people's opinions if you want to make any progress. But go on and let me hear you. From all I can see, Xiangling smiled, the beauty of poetry lies in certain ideas, which, though not quite expressible in words, are nevertheless found on reflection to be absolutely correct. Some may have the semblance of being totally devoid of sense, but on second thought, they are truly be seen to be full of sense and feeling. There's a good deal of right in what you say, that you observed, but I wonder how you arrived at this conclusion. I noticed in that stanza on the borderland the antithetical couplet. In the vast desert reigns but upright mist, in the long river setteth the round sun. Consider now how ever can mist be upright. The sun is, of course, round, but the word upright would seem to be devoid of common sense. 
and round appears far too commonplace a word. But upon throwing the whole passage together and pondering over it, one fancies having seen the scenery alluded to. Now will any one suggest that two other characters should be substituted for these two? One would verily be hard-pressed to find any other two as suitable. Besides this, there is also the couplet. When the sun sets, rivers and lakes are white. When the mist falls, the heavens and earth are sure. Both white and usher, apparently too, lack any sense. But reflection will show that these two words are absolutely necessary to bring out thoroughly the aspect of the scenery. And in conning them over, one feels just as if one had an olive weighing several thousands of catties in one's mouth. So much relief does one derive from them. But there's this too. As the fairy stays the setting sun, over the mark hangs the lonesome mist. And how much trouble must these words stay and over have caused the author in their conception? When the boats made fast in the evening of a certain day of that year in which we came up to the capital, the banks were without a trace of human beings, and there were only just a few trees about. In the distance loomed the houses of several families engaged in preparing their evening meal, and the mist was, in fact, usher like jade, and connected like clouds. So when I, as it happened, read this couplet last night, it actually seemed to me as if I had come again to that spot. But in the course of their colloquy, Bao Yu and Tan Chen arrived, and entering the room, they seated themselves, and lent an ear to her arguments on the verses. Seeing that you know so much, Bao Yu remarked with a smiling face, you can dispense with reading poetical works, but you are not far off from proficiency. To hear you expatiate on these two lines makes it evident to my mind that you've even got at their secret meaning. You say, argued Tai Yu with a significant smile, that's the line, over the marked hangs the lonesome mist, is good, but aren't you yet aware that this is only plagiarized from an ancient writer? But I'll show you the line I'm telling you of. You'll find it far plainer and clearer than this. While uttering these words, she turned up Tao Yunming's Dim in the distance lies a country place. Faint in the hamlet market hangs the mist, and handed it to Xiangling. Xiangling perused it, and nodding her head, she eulogized it. Really, she smiled, the word over is deduced from the two characters implying faint. Bao Yu burst out into a loud fit of exultant laughter. You've already got it, he cried. There's no need of explaining anything more to you. Any further explanations will, in lieu of benefiting you, make you unlearn what you have learned. Will you therefore too at once set to work and versify? Your lines are found to be good. Tomorrow, observed Tan Chen with a smile, I'll stand an extra treat and invite you to join the society. Why make a fool of me, miss? Xiang Ling laughingly ejaculated. It's merely that manier of mine that make me apply my mind to this subject at all, just for fun and no other reason. Tan Chen and Dai Yu both smiled. Who doesn't go in for these things for fun? They asked. Is it likely that we improvise verses in real earnest 
Why, if anyone treated our verses as genuine verses and took them outside this garden, people would have such a hearty laugh at our expense that their very teeth would drop. This is again self-violence and self-abasement, Pao Yu interposed. The other day I was outside the garden consulting with the gentlemen about paintings, and when they came to hear that we had started a poetical society, they begged of me to let them have the rough copies to read. So I wrote out several stanzas and gave them to them to look over, and who did not praise them with all sincerity. They even copied them and took them to have the blocks cut. Are you speaking the truth? Tan Chen and Da Yu eagerly inquired. If I'm telling a lie, Bao Yu laughed, I'm like that cockatoo on that frame. You verily do foolish things. Da Yu and Tan Chen exclaimed with one voice at these words. But not to mention that they were doggerel lines. Had they even been anything like what verses should be, our writings shouldn't have been hawked about outside. What's there to fear? Bao Yu smiled. Hadn't the writings of women of old been handed outside the limits of the inner chambers? Why, there would, at present, be no one with any idea of their very existence. While we passed this remark, they saw Yu Hua arrive from Si Chun's quarters to ask Bao Yu to go over, and Bao Yu eventually took his departure. Xiangling then pressed Da Yu to give her Lu's poem. Do choose some theme? She also asked Da Yu and Tan Jun, and let me go and write on it. When I've done, I'll bring it for you to correct. Last night, Da Yu observed, the moon was so magnificent that I meant to improvise a stanza on it. But as I haven't done yet, go at once and write one using the 14th rhyme, Hung, meaning Ku, you are at liberty to make use of whatever words you fancy. Hearing this, Xiangling was simply delighted. And taking the poems, she went back. After considerable exertion, she succeeded in devising a couplet, but so little able was she to tear herself away from the two poems that she perused another couple of stanzas until she had no inclination for either tea or food and she felt in an unsettled mood, try though she did, to sit or recline. Why? Bao Chai remonstrated. Do you bring such trouble upon yourself? It's that Ping Er who has led you on to it. But I'll settle accounts with her. You've all along been a thick-headed fool, but now that you've burdened yourself with all this, You've become a greater fool. Miss smiled Shangling, don't confuse me. So saying, she set to work and put together a stanza, which she first and foremost handed to Bao Chai to look over. This isn't good, Bao Chai smilingly said. This isn't the way to do it. Don't fear of losing face, but take it and give it to her to peruse. You'll see what she says. At this suggestion, Xiangling forthwith went with her verses in search of Da Yu. When Da Yu came to read them, she found their test to be The night grows cool, what time Slanny reacheth the mid-heavens? Her radiance pure shines around with such a spotless sheen. But oft for inspiration 
raise on her their thoughts and eyes. The rustic daren't see her, so fears he to enhance his grief. Jade mirrors are suspended near the tower of Malachite. An ice-like plate dangles outside the gem-laden portier. The eve is fine, so why need any silvery candles burn? A clear light shines with dazzling luster on the painted rails. There's a good deal of spirit in them, Taiyu smiled, but the language is not elegant. It's because you've only read a few poetical works that you labor under restraint. Now, put this stanza aside and write another. Lock up your courage and go and work away. After listening to her advice, Chang quietly wended her way back. But so much the more preoccupied was she in her mind that she did not even enter the house, but remaining under the trees, planted by the side of the point. She either seated herself on a rock and plunged in a reverie, or squatted down and dug the ground, to the astonishment of all those who went backwards and forwards. Li Wen, Bao Chai, Tan Chen, Bao Yu, and some others heard about her, and taking their position some way off on the mound, they watched her much amused. At one time they saw her puckered up her eyebrows, at another smiled to herself. That girl must certainly be cracked, Bao Chai laughed. Last night she kept on muttering away straight up to the fifth watch, when she at last turned in. But shortly daylight broke, and I heard her get up and comb her hair all in a hurry, and rush after Ping Er. In a while, however, she returned, and after acting like an idiot the whole day, she managed to put together a stanza. But it wasn't, after all, good. So she's, of course, now trying to devise another. This indeed shows, Bao Yu laughingly remarked, that the earth is spiritual, that man is intelligent, and that heaven does not in the creation of human beings bestow on them natural gifts to no purpose. We have been sighing and lamenting that it was a pity that such a one as she should really be so unpolished. But who could ever have anticipated that things would, in the long run, reach the present pass? This is a clear sign that heaven and earth are most equitable. If only, smiled Bao Chai at these words, who could be as painstaking as she is? What a good thing it would be. And would you fail to attain success in anything you might take up? Bao Yu made no reply, but realizing that Chang Ling had crossed over in high spirits to find Da Yu again, Tan Chen laughed and suggested, Let's follow her there and see whether her composition is any good. At this proposal, they came in a body to the Shangshan Lodge. Here they discovered Da Yu holding the verses and explaining various things to her. What are they like? They all thereupon inquired of Da Yu. This is a naturally hard job for her, Da Yu rejoins. They are not yet as good as they should be. The stanza is far too forced. We must write another. One and all, however, expressed a desire to look over the verses. On perusal, they read, Does not silver, neither water, that on the windows shines so cold. 
Selene Mark covers, like a jay platter, the clear vault of heaven. What time the fragrance faints of the plum bloom is fain to tinge the air. The dew-bedecked silken willow trees begin to lose their leaves. Does the remains of powder which methinks besmear the golden steps. Her lustrous rays enshroud like light hoar-frost the jade-like balustrade. When from my dreams I wake in the west tower, all human trace is gone. Her slanting orb can yet clearly be seen across the bamboo screen. It doesn't sound like a song on the moon, Pao Chai lovingly observed. Yet were after the word moon, that of the word light, be supplied, it would be better. For just see, if each of these lines treated of the moonlight, they would be all right. But poetry primarily springs from nonsensical language. In a few days longer, you will be able to do well. Xiangling had flattered herself that this last stanza was perfect, and the criticisms that fell on her ear damned her spirits again. She was not, however, disposed to relax in her endeavors, but felt eager to commune with her own thoughts. So when she perceived the young ladies chatting and laughing, she betook herself all alone to the bamboo groove at the foot of the steps, where she racked her brain and ransacked her mind with such intentness that her ears were deaf to everything around her, and her eyes blind to everything beyond her task. Miss Ling, Tan Chun presently cried, Spawning from inside the window, do have a rest. The character rest, Xiangling nervously replied, comes from lot number 15 under Shan, to correct. So it's the wrong rhyme. This rambling talk made them involuntarily burst out laughing. In very fact, Bao Chai laughed. She's under a poetical frenzy, and it's all Ping Er who has incited her. The holy man says, Da Yu smilingly rejoined that one must not be weary of exhorting people, and if she comes time and again to ask me this and that, how can I possibly not tell her? Let's take her to Miss Quarter's rooms, Li Wen smiled, and if we could coax her to look at the painting and bring her to her senses, it would be well. Speaking the while, she actually walked out of the room, and laying hold of her, she brought her through the lotus fragrance arbor to the bank of warm fragrance. Si Chuan was tired and languid, and was lying on the window, having a midday siesta. The painting was resting against the partition wall, and was screened with a gauze cover. With one voice, they roused Si Chuan, and raising the gauze cover to contemplate her work. They saw that three-tenths of it had already been accomplished but their attention was attracted by the representation of several beautiful girls inserted in the picture. So, pointing at Xiangling, everyone who can write verses is to be put here, they said. So, be quick and learn. But while conversing, they played and laughed for a time, after which it went her own way. Xiangling was meanwhile preoccupied about her verses. So, when evening came, she sat facing the lamp absorbed in thought, and the third watch struck before she got to bed. But her eyes were so wide awake that it was only after the fifth watch had come and gone that she at length 
felt drowsy and fell fast asleep. Presently, the day dawned, and Pao Chai woke up. But when she lent an ear, she discovered Xiang Ling in a sound sleep. She has racked her brains the whole night long, she pondered. I wonder, however, whether she has succeeded in finishing her task. She must be tired now, so I won't disturb her. But in the midst of her cogitations, she heard Xiang Ling laugh and exclaim in her sleep, I've got it. It cannot be that this stanza too won't be worth anything. How sad and ridiculous, Pao Chai soliloquized with a smile, and calling her by name, she woke her up. What have you got? she asked. With that firmness of purpose of yours, you could even become a spirit. But before you can learn how to write poetry, you'll be getting some illness. Chiding her the while, she combed her hair and washed, and this done, she repaired along with her cousins into Dowager Lady Zhao's quarters. Xiaoling made, in fact, such desperate efforts to learn all about poetry that her system got quite out of order. But although she did not in the course of the day hit upon anything, she quite casually succeeded in her dreams in devising eight lines. So concluding her toilette and her ablutions, she hastily jotted them down, and betook herself into the Qingfang Pavilion. Here she saw Li Wen and the whole bevy of young ladies, returning from Madame Wang's suite of apartments. Bao Chai was in the act of telling them of the verses composed by Xiang Ling while asleep, and of the nonsense she had been talking, and every one of them was convulsed with laughter. But upon raising their heads and perceiving that she was approaching, they vied with each other in pressing her to let them see her composition. But, reader, do you wish to know any further particulars? If you do, read those given in the next chapter. End of section 47